if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then every Christian needs a big sympathy hug. But Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And because that's true, it's good news, not only for Jesus, but it's good news for you too, because the bodily resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of creation. What does it mean that he is the first fruit for us? It means this, that we're going to experience a bodily resurrection too. Welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. Our current series, Human Sexuality in the Bible, explores what scripture has to say on the topic of sex and our bodies. And here we find grace and truth as we consider marriage, singleness, sexual orientation, and more. You can find more information about this series at gatewaycrc.org. And now, here's this week's message. Good morning. Happy Easter to you all. If you are a guest here this morning, you have chosen an amazing day to be with us. A day in which we as Christians celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we see that Jesus' victory over death is also our victory over sin and death. And so this is a joyous day for the Christian. So much so, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what we are celebrating today. That is the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab those and to find 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we have lots out in the lobby. Feel free to go grab one, go pick it up, come back in. No one's going to watch you or wonder where you're going. And if you don't have a Bible... That's our gift to you. Take it home and use it well. And if you've got a smartphone, look for that too. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. While you're looking for that, um, let me just share with you what we're going to be looking at today. As a congregation, we are going through what we're calling uh, a human sexuality in the Bible series. And in that series, we're beginning to wonder why there are so many instructions in Scripture with respect to our bodies and I want to propose to you that one of the reasons why we struggle and we, we kind of get a little bit squeamish and nervous every single time we talk about the body is because we don't have a very good theology of the body. And yet the resurrection of Jesus has something to say to us today, something amazing but we can rest assured that we're not the, the first people on planet Earth to struggle or to wrestle with subjects of our human body. We even see that in the first century, the little church in Corinth that the Apostle Paul is talking to, they're struggling with these questions too. And so right off the bat, I want to share with you the three most common views of what happens to us after we all die. What happens to us after we all die? Because if Christianity is true, it, every single thing we talk about clings to one question, just one. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did he really rise from the dead? Everything else really clings to that question. 
And so here's the, the first most common belief that um, our friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors believe if they're not followers of Jesus, if they're atheists or agnostic um, or they're nihilists, they would say that here's what happens after we all die. Nothing. Nothing. We just die, and that's the end. Last week, we looked at the topic of worldviews, and we talked about how every single person on the planet, every person in this room, everyone watching online, we all have a worldview, and we live according to our worldview. We even talked about four dead influencers who deeply impact our thinking with respect to how we live in the world today. So let's just very quickly review them. Friedrich Nietzsche, he said, we should all live for the present, because tomorrow we're all going to die anyway. And then Karl Marx, he said, we should be free and rid ourselves from all the rituals and religions around us, especially Christianity. We need to free ourselves from those things because tomorrow we're going to die anyway. Charles Darwin, he said that there is no divine architect. There is no divine designer. We're all here by chance, but through natural selection. So we should create our own meaning and live life the way that we want to. And Sigmund Freud, he said that we can build our core identity in whatever we want. And for him, it was sexual because you live today, you die tomorrow, build your identity around stuff. And I meant to propose to you that if Jesus Christ was not risen from the dead, then these philosophies make a whole lot of sense. They make a lot of sense. Even the Apostle Paul says this. So if your Bible's open, look with me at 1 Corinthians verse 32. Here's what he says. He says, if the dead are not raised, and this is in in reference to the resurrection of Jesus, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Are you encouraged yet? Verse 19, look at this. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Christians need a hug. We need a little bit of sympathy because everyone in this room, you're all just wasting your time. You're wasting your time. If Jesus Christ has not been resurrected from the grave. And it's interesting. When you think about um, some of the values of our world, Maybe some of you, a couple of years ago, you watched the BBC documentary series. It was called 50 Places to See Before You Die. And it was interesting because it started a whole new subgenre. So we had books and TV shows and documentaries that were all based upon this one idea. And so here's a couple books that came out in the coming years. 100 Places to Go Before You Die. A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. A Thousand Foods to Eat Before You Die. A whole new genre. And I think that says something pretty significant about us as human beings, don't you think? It highlights the idea that especially for people like Nietzsche and Darwin, when they propose that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then we might as well get on with our lives. Live your life to the fullest. The world is your oyster. Life is short. You only have so much time here on earth. Enjoy your life. Like, my goodness, enjoy your life. And then the way that we view our body is your body is kind of like a vehicle that brings you from place to place to enjoy all these experiences because you're alive today. Tomorrow you die, and then it's it. That's it. Then it's all over. And so we should just get on living our life. And so that's probably the first and most common view among our friends who are atheists or agnostic. 
Here's the second most common view, that, which is very common among religious people. And it's this, that we become kind of like Casper the Friendly Ghost. All right, we, we're kind of like some ethereal spiritual being. You know, a, a lot of our friends who are Buddhists, they believe that you'll experience nirvana and you'll go up to heaven, right? And many Christians even have this sort of spiritual view that when we die, we'll become disembodied creatures and then we'll just kind of float around and experience the, the beauty of no longer having to be clinging to this earthly body that is constantly getting in our way and struggling with it. And yet, Resurrection Sunday has something to say about that. Isn't it interesting that Jesus repeatedly affirmed the bodily resurrection and yet no one expected the resurrection? No one expected it. Why? Because it was inconceivable. Let me just share a couple passages with you. I'm in the Gospel of Mark. Here's what Jesus says. Mark chapter 8 verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then be killed and after three days rise again. And yet no one expected the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Mark chapter 9 verse 9. This is the story of the transfiguration of Jesus up on the mountain. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged his disciples to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen back from the dead. And yet no one expected the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Mark chapter 9 verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, Jesus says to his disciples, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise again. No one expected the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 34, and they will mock the Son of Man and spit on him, says Jesus, and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And yet no one expected the bodily resurrection. Why? Jesus is saying it all the time. Why? Because it was inconceivable. It was inconceivable. It was just as inconceivable for them as it is for us today. Sure, the disciples might have thought to themselves, you know, maybe what's going to happen is Jesus will die and then his soul will travel back up to heaven. But there's no possible way that he will rise again in bodily form. There's no possible way that that could happen. And yet, that's what scripture says. Like, could you imagine what Easter was like for Jesus you know, it's Sunday morning, and he's getting excited, and we see the tomb, it's about to be rolled away, and he thinks there's going to be thunderous applause because he's been telling his disciples, he's been telling everybody that on the third day I will rise again, and it rolls away, and no one's there. No one's there. Where, where'd everyone go? No one expected the resurrection of Jesus. It was inconceivable. And maybe, just maybe, you're struggling with that too. You're in good company. All of Jesus' disciples were in that camp. And the third view is this, that our current bodies will be totally discarded and replaced. We're going to look at this one a little bit more next week when we discover that the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 13. He says, you say, he's giving them a common phrase that's being talked about in Corinth, kind of like when we say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So he says, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. 
So this was a super common phrase in the first century. There was a very powerful sense even for people who believed in God. Even for people who believed in the afterlife, the, that the physical material world just didn't matter. It was not all that important. So if you're hungry, you should eat. If you're thirsty, you should have a drink. If you are itchy, you should scratch. If you're tired, you should go to bed. If you have a sexual urge, you should go to the temple. Like just fulfill your desires because your body is just a vessel for you to go wherever you want to go to experience life to the fullest before you die. So the view of the body is kind of like um, how we view wrappers when we go to McDonald's and get a Big Mac. It's just covering up the good stuff and then you throw it away, discard it when it's done. Or kind of like a, a beat-up car, right? You bring it to the dump, never to be seen again. That old uh, dumpster car so that you can get the new Ferrari, right? It's a replacement vehicle that you kind of shed off or throw away at the end because the body is something to flee from. But Easter has something to say about that. Easter has something to say about how we use our bodies. As Christians, we would reject these claims. Even the third one, all three of these claims we would reject because we are, here's the big word of the day, psychosomatic creatures. We're physical beings, we're spiritual beings, psychological beings, all wrapped up into one. We don't separate them out. We don't pull them away from each other. Our body, our mind, our psyche, our soul, all of it together is who we are. We are psychosomatic beings. And so there's two vital truths that Paul wants to communicate to you today. The first one, which we covered together already, is if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then every Christian needs a big sympathy hug. And the second view, right on the heels of that, is he says, but Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And because that's true, it's good news, not only for Jesus, but it's good news for you too, because the bodily resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of creation, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. What does it mean that he is the first fruit for us? It means this, that we're going to experience a bodily resurrection too. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we will experience the bodily resurrection too. And that, friends, is the greatest news you will ever hear. So I want to stop here for a second and speak with those of you who are questioning this claim. Maybe just like the disciples, you're questioning the historicity of the accounts of Jesus. Is it true that he rose again from the dead? Can we believe that? Maybe it still feels totally inconceivable. If that's you this morning, and if you are a guest of Gateway, I, I want to put two resources into your hands. The first one is you can go to the hub right after the service. We have a gift for you. We have uh, purchased a number of books called The Case for Christ, and that is our gift to you. We would love for you to take that home to read it. But the second thing is maybe you want to have a conversation with a flesh and blood human being. Maybe you want to ask your own questions. If that is you, come and find us. Find me, find Pastor Adam, find uh, Pastor Marcel, one of us after the service. I would love to hear your story and to walk with you as you ask these very important questions. 
So go to the hub. Even if we run out, just give us your email, and we would love to put that book in your hands. So for the remainder of our time, we're going to ask ourselves why the bodily resurrection of Jesus is genuinely good news for those of us who are followers of Jesus. So look at verse 20 with me of chapter 15. It says this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So he gives us this example, right, of a first fruits, a first fruit of the resurrection. Now, what does that mean? We're in the season of spring right now, right? And so if we look outside, we see daisies. We're starting to see some lilacs, some daffodils, some tulips popping up. We look at trees and suddenly they're beginning to bloom and to flower. We're seeing different colors on all the trees and it's beautiful. And many of the farmers who are members of our congregation, they're starting to plant seeds in the ground. And then, for, for many plants, by the month of July, they will experience um, first fruits. They'll pull things out of the ground, and they will look at it and say, oh my goodness, the yield this year is going to be really good. They're really excited about it. And that is good news for the farmer. Why? I love the way that Sam Albury puts it. He says this, the first fruits serve as an indication a sign, a foretaste, and a guarantee that the rest of the harvest is not yet far behind. So Paul says that the bodily resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of many, many more to come. Which means that we're also going to have a physical, bodily resurrection for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point that I put in your note sheet. The resurrection is not only Christ's victory over sin, though it most certainly is, it is also Christ's victory over the death and decay of our physical bodies. Over the death and decay of our physical bodies. There's a promise of transformation, of renewal, and of healing of our bodies. So think about this. At the resurrection, what happened to Jesus? What happened what are we celebrating today? The fact that Jesus Christ rose again in bodily form. He rose again in bodily form. And then what do we believe? That Jesus Christ is now, where is he? He's standing at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, bodily. And then we also say that he is the first fruits of those of us who are coming after him, which means that we will resurrect bodily with him one day. That is what we believe as Christians. So again, I think one of the reasons why we have a really, really difficult time talking about our bodies is because we have such a terrible theology of the body. We have this weird idea that maybe we're going to be like Casper the Friendly Ghost in the sky or that our bodies are going to be discarded anyway, so who cares what we do with them? And yet, Easter is the great antithesis to that message. Easter says we will rise again in bodily form and be with Jesus. 
And in glory, we will sing, we will dance, we will run, we will play, and we will experience God's good creation. And so I just want you to see that Jesus' resurrection should totally reorient the way that we think about our bodies. Let me just show you at least two ways that this happens. The first is that Jesus' resurrection is the vindication that God's creation was good. What happened in the creation story? Genesis 1 and 2. Jesus, he puts together the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, land and sky, birds of the air, fish of the sea, reptiles on the ground. And what does he say? It was good. It was good. He loved the creation that he had made. He said it was good. It was beautiful. Now, sin has tainted that. Sin has affected that. But he was proud of the creation that he had made. And I think that's something that is so, so important for us to see. And then yet, after that, Jesus made human beings. And he said something significant. Even after making all of creation and just saying, that was good. When he made you, what did he say? Oh, man. He's like so impressed with himself. He said, it's very good. It is so good. He was so proud of when he created human beings in his own image. He was amped up. And so the crown of his creation was you. Was you. He was so proud. And here's what that means. It means that you are intrinsically valuable. That no one can take away your value. It's not like a set of car keys that can be lost or discarded or thrown away. You have value, full stop. Regardless of your age, your race, your socioeconomic class, your sexuality, your past experience, the things you've done, the things you haven't done, you cannot lose your intrinsic value because when God sees you, he says, oh my goodness, I'm so proud of myself. Look at what I made. So, so very good. And here's the second thing. I think a knowledge that creation of human beings is very good in the eyes of God and the reality that sin has affected and disordered everything in this world, including our bodies, including our psyche and our soul, everything has been tainted as a result of the fall. I think that should make us incredibly compassionate people. I think we should be such compassionate people. Look, the first impact of sin was the brokenness of the body. What did Adam and Eve do? Instantly, they tried to clothe themselves. They felt the disorientation of their body. They were filled with shame and they covered their bodies. They didn't feel at home in their bodies. The first impact of sin had to do with the body. And that continues to this day. There's not a a single person in this room who doesn't feel fully at home in their own body. And some of us feel this more palpably than others. Some of the senior saints in our midst who are experiencing the slow but gradual decay of life. That you're not able to do the things you once were able to do. And so many of us come to realize that we experience incongruence in our bodies. So here's a couple examples of this. What about physical incongruence? Like our friends and family members who are confined to a wheelchair or who are blind or lame or mute 
or who feel the slow, gradual ramping up of sore joints or chronic nerve pain, increased doctor visits, disease, cancer treatments, the slow but steady realization that your body is falling apart. Your current body is, is perishable, dishonorable, weak, and frail. You age, you decay overnight, your bones break, your body aches, disease grows. Are you encouraged yet? And we not only experience physical incongruence, we also realize and experience psychological incongruence. What about your friends and family members who have same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria? What about our friends who have debilitating anxiety and a desire to harm ourselves or our bodies? We experience the incongruence of our bodies in so many ways. And so I want to convince you, friends, that Christians should be the most compassionate people on the planet because we believe two things. Two things. Number one, when God made you, he said, wow, that's amazing. You are the crown of my creation, more beautiful than anything that I have ever made, and you have dignity before you do anything at all. And number two, we believe that sin has affected everything that we've ever touched, that we have ever seen. And on account of that, we experience incongruence in our bodies, brokenness in our bodies. We should understand this more than anyone else. But here's the good news. To all those things, the hope of Jesus' resurrection means that we have victory over death and decay and suffering. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits, which means we too will experience that resurrection. So just like the farmer, he pulls the first fruits out of the ground. He says, oh, the yield's going to be good this year. And he now is not filled with concern. He's not worried about the fruits that are yet to come. He is filled with hope and with joy and with satisfaction, knowing that the harvest is on its way. It's as good as done. It's coming. So that's the second point. The resurrection is not just good news for the future. It is the power to live for today. So you might be wondering, what will our bodies be like? And, and how does that happen anyway? So if your Bibles are still open, look at verse 35 with me. It says this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Paul says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So what's, what's all this about? Well, once again, I think farmers are going to have the easiest time understanding what it is that the Apostle Paul is saying. Every time we plant a seed, what do we do? We bury it in the ground. It goes through a symbolic death. And then what? It comes back to life. But it looks nothing like the way that it used to either, right? So the farmer knows that the only way a plant can come to life is if it first dies. It first must die so that it can be reborn again. If it just sits there in the packaging, it does nothing. It just sits there. 
But once you bury it, it comes back to life. I love the way that uh, the great poet George Herbert said this. He said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel makes him a gardener. I love that. So here's the third point. The resurrection says Christians don't get buried in the ground. They get planted. They get planted. I love the way also that uh, uh, the great rabbi and teacher George DeYoung, he's going to be leading our young adults this summer when we go to Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. He said this, only Jesus can turn a tomb into a womb. Can turn a tomb into a womb. That we will rise again. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. Look at verse 37. Verse 37 says this. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So seeds, they typically don't resemble the plant that they will eventually become, right? Like an oak tree, it looks nothing like an acorn. A butterfly looks nothing like a caterpillar. We have so many examples in creation of when things are planted and transformed, they look nothing like the casing in which they used to be. And yet, everything in that little seed, that acorn, is needed for its resurrection, its rebirth into an oak tree. And so we see this in creation all the time. Like if I had seeds in my hand right now, I bet 99% of the people in this room would not be able to tell me what sort of vegetable or tree it would become. And maybe for the 1% who does know, the only reason why you do know is because you've planted that seed before, you've watched it have its ceremonial death and rise back to life. And because of that experience, you know what it will be. But most of us don't know. We can't see it with our own eyes. So listen, we often think of the resurrection of Jesus only as a means of forgiveness for our sins. Though it most certainly is. Don't, don't get me wrong on this. But we need to recapture a new imagination of why God gives us his righteous rules. As Christians, we don't, we don't think of Jesus and as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as... Um, divine dictators who give us arbitrary rules as some sort of test to determine whether or not you are going to listen and obey. And it doesn't really matter if you do those things. He's just trying to test you. Will you obey me? Will you trust me? No, more of what we should see is that the laws of God are intrinsic in the way that he has made us. So here's an example. If you open up an instruction manual of a car. And the car instruction manual says, if you want to drive the car, you got to put gasoline in the engine. And you said, that's good advice. But you know what I want to do? I want to put mustard in it. I want to put vinegar in that thing. I just want to see. Let's just try. Let's just try. See, see what goes on. Let's, let's see what happens. What's going to happen to the vehicle? It's going to break down. Why? It's not just because you're disobeying the arbitrary rules of a divine dictator, but it's because God has given his law in such a way to reveal to us how we function best. This is where we get the Hebrew word shalom. What does shalom mean? It means peace and justice and harmony, that things would go back to the way that God made them to be. That's why we love the righteous rules of God. Not because they're arbitrary, but because they bring life. It brings life. 
And I want to convince you that's the way that we should view this book. And so while our current bodies are frail and weak, our new bodies will be like the resurrection body of Jesus. We see this in verse 42. Look at this. Verse 42 says this. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And again, here he's not talking about a non-physical body. He's talking about a body that perfectly fits the new creation that he is making for us. So think about this. The thing that will be transformed between now and the new resurrection, the new heavens, and the new earth is your body. Your body is what gets transformed, which is good news for every person in this room. But don't miss this. Your new body will be different. My future body is to my current body what an oak tree is to an acorn, what a butterfly is to a caterpillar. Total transformation. So here's a way of thinking about this last point. The resurrection says our bodies don't get removed or even replaced. They get transformed. They get transformed. One of my favorite biographies is the story of Joni Erickson Tata. Joni was paralyzed as a teenager while in a driver's accident. She was only 17 years old. She was beautiful. She was popular, athletic, brilliant, a great artist. She had everything going for her at the age of 17. And then because of the accident, she has been a quadriplegic for more than 50 years. And that has been a very hard road for her. And yet she said this of her time in glory. Here's, here's the quote straight from Joni. When I get to heaven... I'm going to push my wheelchair to the throne of Jesus. But notice, I'll be walking. I'm going to thank him for every character refining work he did in me and through me because of this wheelchair. And then I love what she says. And then I'm going to ask Jesus to send this wheelchair straight to hell because it is only needed because of the wreckage of sin. And then... She goes on to say that the very first thing that she plans to do in the new creation is to use her new strengthened legs to bow down and to worship Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And far be it from me to, to deny Joni. I think that's the best thing that we can do in glory. The very first thing that I will do when I get to glory is I will bow down and worship. But I also have plans for my second and third thing. You know what I'm going to do? Number two, I'm going to find Samson and I'm going to say arm wrestle time. I, I, got, I got my new body. Time for an arm wrestle. And then I'm going to find Usain Bolt and I'm saying race time. I got my new body. We're going to see, and I'm going to beat you. So you're just going to have to wait. I call dibs. But listen, friends, this is genuinely good news for every single person in this, in this room. Who here has not experienced the slow decay of death? 
Who here hasn't experienced the loss of a loved one this past year or in years past? Who here hasn't personally been affected or has a friend or a family member or a coworker or a neighbor who hasn't been affected by cancer or disease or dying or decay or death? My goodness, every person in this room feels the fact that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And then comes Jesus. Then comes Jesus. And Paul tells us these words. Here's how I want to end. The same way I began. We say with Paul, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the latest message in our Human Sexuality series, finding biblical answers to questions about sex and marriage, orientation, singleness, and more. You can find more information about this series and our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the weekly sermon at Gateway.